Well, it's Friday, the 19th of June, 2020. It's the last Kevin Prendeville show of the week. We'll be back on Monday, of course. And I wanted to start with just a little piece that I had written uh, for today's article. And it struck me today when the reality of the situation we're in just really, it, it did hit home today in Franklin. And it's something that I think is important to share, even on a nice day like this. We have to understand the stakes of our decisions. Where, where we stand now, economically, politically, is so important for the direction and the future of our country. And that's important even if even if you're not as proud of the United States as I am. Even if you're not as interested in the goals of the United States or what I believe that they should be. If not for that, then for our kids and for their kids. And even their kids. It's important that we understand and hold accountable those who have wrecked this economy. So we'll start the opening salvo right quick with this little piece that I have penned. It's called COVID, a lesson in picking politicians. Now, of course, the point of the opening salvo is to give you some food for thought and to set the tone for the rest of the episode. But with that being said, let's fire that first shot. So one of my favorite things about the city of Franklin is that it's the best combination of businesses both large and small. Whether the owners are American or foreign, Franklin is the best representation, really, of the all-American town. Whether it's historic buildings, uh, to classy new constructions and developments, sprawling open spaces and farms and thick forests and cool lakes, it really is the crown jewel of Williamson County. It's a place that I wish every state had. So I was deeply saddened today when I noticed that my favorite little bike shop, the first one I went to when I arrived here, was out of business. And for what? So that Bill Lee and company could get the high on power that they don't rightly have? So that they can point out to the masses come election night and say, look, I did something. I don't know who owns that little bike shop. I don't know how hard they work to get it. But I do know that their dreams were killed for political gain. Let me ask you, on a primal level, is this what America feels like to you? Is that why hundreds of thousands and millions over the years have flocked to our shores and borders? When our founders wrote the Bill of Rights, is this what they've envisioned? I know it may seem like I'm ranting here, but... As we get ready for a fourth round of Federal Reserve economic injections, I can't help but feel a little bit dejected. If we had many statesmen, not many politicians, maybe the coming debt crisis would have been avoided. Maybe we would have had elected officials who cared about the oath they took when they were given the privilege to hold office by us, the people. But yet again, our kids and their kids will pay for our mistakes. Because modern monetary theory dictates that all debt is inflatable, this means 
that in order to pay for the debts of a spending government, the Fed will print more and more money until the value of the dollar is so deflated the derelict government can afford to pay its bills. When used in conjunction with the bond rate cuts, we'll see cheap money being thrown around for decades, and this will encourage the average American to take on more and more consumer debt. This will drive wage stagnation, or at least the feeling of wage stagnation, as more and more income goes to debt service. And I cannot help but fear that this will in turn drive radical political action, as people feel like they're falling behind. And I understand in this article and beyond that it feels cheap to quote my own article from just a week ago, but I suppose I'll drive home the same message because it's apparently needed now. The bond cut was inevitable, but it would have been substantially slower had things played out normally. But with a rash decision of governors across the nation, that worrisome reality has come home. For instance, in Germany, they've been dealing with negative bond rates for quite some time. In fact, things have gotten progressively worse in terms of Europe's banking system. They weren't even able to deal with zero bond rates and had to go negative. As Sovereign Man Investing points out in an article from 2019, Europe is even worse. Europe has negative interest rates. And the European economy is so weak, it grew 0.2% in quarter four. It can't handle 0% interest rates. Last week, the ECB announced that it would keep interest rates negative. This is 2019. And it's starting its third round of cheap loans to banks, who in turn are supposed to lend to businesses and households. The banks have also cut their forecasts growth from 1.7%, which is already pretty bad, to just 1.1%. The Eurozone is the third largest economy in the world. And 10 years after the GFC, it can't keep the machine running unless interest rates are negative and it continues to dole out cheap cash to banks. This is a pretty big deal. And it's a clear sign of what yet's to come. There's trouble ahead. Skipping ahead to 2020, and in the meantime, it means things like your mortgage rate will continue to stay low. And taking advantage of a 30-year mortgage will probably benefit you the most because inflation will take over the actual right at this point. This means that your final payment will be worth less than a third of what it is today. However, I sincerely doubt the financial industry will shift towards this reality. There's so many philosophies that rely on the 15-year mortgage and attempt to become debt-free that they will end up having their clients spend much more money than necessary. We say it all the time, but is your objective to be debt-free or have more money? After spending all your money on debt service, we have to question whether or not you're actually saving a dime. Now, I apologize that I could not be more positive at a time like this. But the cold reality of the situation we're in hit me when I saw that little bike shop my favorite in town and in my favorite town in the United States unnecessarily killed in broad daylight while the blood of its owner's dreams ran red in the streets please for me and for the small American business owners take heart my parting words 
Never stop creating. Never stop striving for your potential. Even in the face of a reckless government. Hopefully, in a toast, we can celebrate both your creation and your potential. This has been the opening salvo. When we come back, we'll explore more of the economic repercussions from this fourth round of stimulus payments. Stay with us. This is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Well, despite the doom and gloom of the last segment, it's still a nice day out. And uh, if you get the chance, or maybe uh, uh, you've got nothing better to do, and maybe if your government allows it, you can go outside and enjoy it. I know, it's going to be maybe a little hot. Put some shorts on. Hopefully you grab a water and uh, maybe forget a little bit about what's going on. Because it's troubling. It really is. But aside from that, our first article for the day comes at us from Fox Business. And this is about uh, the Fed uh, vice chair and uh, essentially saying that they're going to dig more into their toolbox about how they can support the American economy. You know what would really help the American economy? Uh, ending these useless lockdowns. It seems like a start. How about uh, if you want to wear a mask and you want to live inside your house for the rest of your life, go right ahead. It's a free country. But if you want to exercise your right to run and operate a business, to ex ex exchange in the free commerce of ideas and economics and finance, go ahead. If you want to try to, as a business owner, hire people and help cut down on the 13.3% uh, un unemployment rate, go ahead. But we know that's not happening. After all, it's an election year, and we need to make the president look bad. And so the um, <clears throat> the Fed has told us that they are, uh, this is Liz uh, Klaman, who is the vice chair. She mentioned uh, recently in an interview that uh, she is going to maximize employment as a primary focus of the Fed. There's, when you only control money, the, the Fed doesn't necessarily control policy. Now, keep in mind, it's not necessarily the Federal Reserve or the government's job to create businesses. That's on you and me. That's on uh, on the business owners. That's on the general public and commerce. The best thing that the Fed and the government can do is get get out of the way. Hence, ending the lockdowns. But since we're in an era where governments and apparently now the Federal Reserve feels so though they are entitled to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Uh, Liz here said that she's uh, focused on providing the support the economy needs. It's taken a big hit. It was nobody's fault. We've asked people to step away from the economy. They're coming back. Yeah, because many, many people want to get on with their lives. they got goals and dreams. And uh, they're not going to sit idly by while you smash them. And in this, she's essentially explaining why they're going to be adding more to the national debt. We don't know how large this fourth stimulus is going to be, but it's going to be a couple billion dollars. When it might be a couple trillion. And when you calculate the 
interest on that, the fact that it probably won't be paid off for 50 years, that's a lot of money. A couple billion dollars is, is, is quite a bit of money anyways. But injecting that right into the economy to uh, help push it through these lockdowns, which are, are holding on to it, dragging it back down. I mean, the answer is so obvious. But we're all going to stick our heads in the sand and pretend like the politicians are saving the world and the Fed's going to, uh, meanwhile, make it a hellscape for our kids and their grandkids. Now, we're going to leave that conversation there uh, to go more on the macro scale. What can we extract from this other article from uh, Rachel Cruz, who uh, is a higher up in the Ramsey Solutions um, company? And, and Dave Ramsey is a financial guru. He has been uh, all over the radio and popular really since the 1980s. Uh, he is the go-to guy around here in Tennessee. Um, you've got uh, he's got a, a big new building they've constructed now, uh, right on 65. And his big things is always to be debt-free. And so uh, you'll see this sometimes where he'll get uh, a spot in Fox Business, as this article is, or CNBC or wherever, where um, and it's a great way to advertise where he'll have. Um, one of his one of his people write an article, and it it helps obviously Fox out um, with content creation, and it helps them out in the sense that somebody might read this, uh, like the philosophy, and and buy their products. But in these three money lessons that that they are telling uh, us to teach our kids and grandkids, there's a couple things that I want to get into because this information is presented as solid financial advice and it can be but it can't just be a blanket statement if your goals are to own a business run a business run a successful business if your goals are to Reduce your tax bill. To spend more in retirement. To give more. Then maybe we should examine some of these principles that are put forth. Now, the first uh, uh, point that she says is don't be afraid to... Uh, uh, tell your kids that when they ask a question that you may not know or don't want to answer that you say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's find out together. Or, you know, budget for giving, saving, and spending. Every dollar counts. Hold on to every dollar. Make that eagle cry you're holding on to it so hard. I mean, we're not gypsies. You know, we're not living in a hovel in Romania. Budgeting is good when you run a business to help determine ROIs, to help understand where you can trim some of the fat. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. But for, or that all budgeting is bad, just in a blanket statement. But 
when people live by the budget so much, you know, that they, they start to cut back on productivity. Like, for instance, let's say somebody says, I can only spend X amount of dollars on coffee. And then they get later into that month and their coffee budget is all um, spent up and they have a really late night and they say, oh, no, I, I, gotta, I, I have no more coffee budget, you know. So I'm going to be – I'm going to go into work. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be uh, nonproductive. I'm going to get in there with a bad attitude. Y- you never know because you're so focused on cutting back in one sense that you may be hurting your productivity in another sense. And that's where opportunity com- cost comes in in a non-financial sense. But that's that's not really where my pet peeve here is. And I, I, I hesitate to call it uh, a pet peeve, but something that, that is prevalent but doesn't teach the average family how money works. In fact, in some cases, it teaches the exact opposite. And it's the second one here that you can uh, – the quote from the article here is, hard times or not, talk to them about your family's values, them being your kids. For example, you can tell them that your family stays out of debt, so that's why you cut back on spending. Now, maybe that works for credit cards, and it does. Credit cards can be bad debt. There are situations where it's good to get rid of debt or avoid certain things. That's not what I'm arguing. But this article goes on, and I think this will help eliminate my point. If you're being intense about getting out of debt, set the expectation so that they know why they can't have the most expensive name brand cereal at the grocery store right now. Hey, that's stingy. I mean, I, I understand it, but shouldn't your, shouldn't your financial plan account for all of that? Shouldn't your financial plan let your kids have Cap'n Crunch But see, here's the problem. You're spending so much on debt service because you're trying to be debt-free that you're cutting in other areas. This is an admission that that is part of the plan. Now, when I go over things with my clients, when I talk financial philosophy, at no point do I say, uh, tell your kids to get rid of Tony the Tiger. We're going to have Pretoria the Lioness. The kids can have their Frosted Flakes. Toucan Sam can live in your house. A solid financial plan does not mean that you can't have Special K. A solid financial plan allows you to build wealth out of the market. A strong base that is leverageable, which means you can take advantage of good debt, to get into areas such as a hedge against inflation, gold, silver, zinc, precious metals, real hard assets. That allows you to get into controllable larger assets like real estate. That lets you put the icing on top into the stock market. That allows you to invest in other local businesses or big businesses. But if you're so concerned with debt 
and getting rid of debt, you'll never be able to even build that base to get into bigger projects, to be able to advance your position. Now, we talk more in depth about it than I'm going to go into here, and you can search the uh, the library of Kevin Prendeville podcast that we've talked about uh, opportunity costs, we've talked about compound interest, where, where we do get into details. But for right now, we need to understand that not all debt is bad debt. And if your financial plan involves telling your six-year-old, hey, we got to ax Toucan Sam, Perhaps there's, perhaps there's a problem in the plan. Perhaps you were sold a financial product and you don't actually have a plan. Maybe that's it. This is the crusade I'm on in life. But when we come back, we're going to be going into uh, just dip our toe in politics a little bit with Attorney General Barr uh, talking about how he's worried about censorship potentially in the next election. Stay with us. Well, welcome back to the Kevin Prendeville Show. So glad to have you in. Thank you for inviting me into your car, house, or wherever you're listening to this from. Again, we've got Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, wherever you're you're listening, if they haven't taken me off yet. I say that jokingly, but uh, it actually ties into our next article here. And uh, William Barr, who has just been relentlessly attacked, obviously, by the left, has expressed concerns about the 2020 election. Um, Specifically, he said that um, essentially that, uh, and this is quoting from an article on Fox Business, the thing we have to do, the thing going for us, and this is Bill Barr talking, especially when there's intense division in the country, is that we have to have peaceful transfers of power, and the way of solving it is to have an election. But when governments, state governments, start uh, adopting these practices like mail-in ballots that open the floodgates of potential fraud, then people's confidence in the outcome is going to be undermined, and he's totally right. There's a story in Wisconsin where they did these mail-in ballots, and some guy had 3,000 of them shipped to his house. What about Florida in 2018 in uh, Briard County, where they were so late on counting in a, a hotly contested race? between DeSantis and whoever he was running against. I forget the guy's name at this point. But in Briard County, which was run by a Democrat, uh, you had this lady suddenly say, after uh, days of not reporting, you had this lady suddenly say, oh, look, we found an extra 6,000 of these. We forgot, and they happened to all be for the Democrat. Oops. Maybe it swings the election. Maybe it doesn't. Now, she had had a history of this, So it's not too far-fetched to say on a national election where you have one side that absolutely hates Trump. I mean, that wants nothing more than to see him out of office. That wants nothing more than total control of the country again. Is it a... Is it really a surprise that mail-in ballots could be tampered with. It's a legitimate fear. And no, don't give me this coronavirus crap. We know it's a hoax. 
Don't tell me that I'm killing grandma by going and voting. Tell grandma to stay home. Or tell her where to mask. I'm going to execute my constitutional right to go and vote. In person. And I know it's me. I mean, how many times are we going to have dead people vote for Democrats? How many times are we going to have dogs vote for Democrats? And no, I'm not making fun of their 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 uh, constituents. We've had uh, accounts in the past in Virginia with dogs and dead people voting. Those never get brought up. But that's one of the big reasons why they say we need voter ID laws. And of course, there's pushback there, and of course there is. But these mail-in ballots is no different. Of course they're going to be tampered with. And the other side knows that, you know, they can get away with it. But the media is going to investigate them? Probably not. And so William Barr's right to, to question the validity of that. And, and, and the other note on big tech, where the Federalist and financial uh, a financial website, Zero Hedge, were both targeted by Google because of their comments section. Now, Ben Shapiro has a great piece on this about the differences, the legal differences in publishing and all, uh, publishers and, and uh, website aggregators and, and all of the, the legal definitions about that. But for our purposes, and this flew under the radar, but in Spain in 2018, they had their essentially their version of the populist... Uh, Spanish exit party. Three days before the election, Twitter account, gone. No explanation. And then after the election, which they lost, close, but they lost, suddenly it's back up. Hmm. Now, is it crazy to think that maybe big tech doesn't like conservatives? Anybody who dissents from their opinion, they, they go after, they target. Now, as a company, so you know where I stand on this, as a company, they have the right to do that. We cannot sacrifice the right of a company to hire, fire, ban, do whatever they wish with their products and their platforms. But there is, uh, but companies who have come in and tried to compete with Google and, and some of the larger companies now have been stunted, uh, bought out. Uh, people they they have been not given a fair shot. Because maybe maybe another company could be started and it comes up and it says uh, you know no lefties, no commies. We cannot express any sympathies towards the far left. And it'd be their right to do that as a social media platform. So we have to, and, and, and I would vehemently support the right to do that. And I will say that Facebook and Twitter and Google and all these places do have the right to treat the president, whoever, the way that they are treating him, so long as they're not interfering with free commerce. And that's what they appear to be doing. And that's where the president, Barr, all of them have the right, I think, to go after them. And that's where I want to leave this episode. We've got a lot of problems here in the U.S., but just by talking about them, just by 
thinking about these in a new light, perhaps we can come to a greater understanding of where we are in history and why it's important. I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home, inviting me into your car, wherever you might be listening to us. It's been a pleasure, and I'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend.